This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property. Lovely to have your company here today on MPR. We're going to focus quite a lot on renting in the rental market this week and just have a chat about some of the things that are going on there. And this does flow through to effects on the housing market in general. But this recent article says that the Green Party pushes for rent controls, hoping house and rental prices will fall. So a temporary rent freeze would only be a good thing, Green Party co-leader Marimo Davidson says, as it could encourage some landlords to sell up and make renting more affordable. The party is focusing on rentals, calling for an immediate rent freeze followed by limits on rental increases linked to inflation or wage growth. Davidson says the country's cooked housing market needs to see property and rental prices fall. But the Greens' ideas seem unlikely to gain much traction with the government, even though Davidson says a rent freeze is needed today. Housing Minister Megan Wood said it didn't want to increase controls on rent or introduce a freeze. She said her focus was on increasing housing supply, which she said was working in Auckland as it had only seen a 2.3% average rent increase. That's actually uh, really pretty surprisingly low. Whether it's housing supply that's doing that or not, I'm not sure. But as uh, the inflation rates uh, and interest rates and all sorts of things go up, that could change. But nationally, Stats NZ reported rents had risen 5.8% in 2021. So for every $100 in rent you're paying, approximately an extra six. But Woods ruled out the green proposal for areas that hadn't enjoyed higher housing supply as well. Davidson said the 5.8% rise in rents across the country was proof of an out-of-control housing market. The average wage data showed incomes had risen by only 2.8%, 3% less than the rising cost of renting. If the Greens had their way, landlords would still be able to increase their rents by 2.8% in line with wage inflation. The party also wants to pass a law prohibiting landlords from massively increasing rents between tenancies. Davidson said the government should focus on building more houses, including partnering with iwi and companies to build more, as well as increasing rent controls. I want to see house and rent prices come down. I hope this will play a part in stabilising a really stupid housing market, she said. The Green Party first raised the idea of rent controls in mid-2021 in a discussion document on housing. Its refined policy confirmed a stuff this week in an open letter to Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern on last Thursday, at the time of this recording, called for greater rental controls and a freeze. Ardern effectively ruled out similar measures last year, but Woods said the Associate Housing Minister, Porter Williams, have asked for advice about temporary rent controls, and earlier Williams said nothing was off the table. So landlords and some economists have also warned that rent controls can act to reduce the supply of rental properties. But Davidson said she wasn't worried about landlords opting out of the rental market. She also said there was no need for the policy to allow rent increases if, for instance, council rates or mortgages spiked. 
If a landlord decides it's not profitable enough, it allows for more affordable housing to be built by a first home, uh, sorry, bought, I should say, by a first home buyer, people who would otherwise rent. And this is a good thing, she said. It's still a house available for someone. So some interesting views in this article. She said the government's decision not to enact greater rental controls showed it wasn't listening to renters. The current housing market is completely and utterly failing at least half the population in terms of affordable housing. There are things we can do right now, rent controls, and then we can also ramp up the supply of housing, she said. However, Davidson did not say this rent controls policy would be a bottom line for the party come election 2023. So what do you think about that? Uh, you can always let me know in comments around this article. Rent controls, in other words, not driven by the market but driven by legislation. It's an interesting concept. Uh, it would need a, a bit of research. It would certainly make investing in property less appealing, but would it still be appealing enough? And that's the question, really. Could they bring in rent controls? Uh, landlords would need to tighten the the spending, which can be sort of bad news for, for uh, tenants as well. Or uh, they may need to simply... Um, you know, it's the, the days of, I guess, landlords passing on extra cost to tenants is something that the Greens seem to be um, a little bit concerned about, uh, reading between the lines of this article. And that's where many of the things that the current government has done over the last almost six years uh, has meant that rents have continued to go up and up and up as extra costs for compliance and so forth have also gone up for landlords. So what would landlords do if uh, costs and compliance keep going up yet their income can't go up? Uh, then it just becomes a less appealing business venture, a less appealing investment. The idea that it would free up housing for first home buyers is a little bit of an unusual one. I mean it would have to be a massive uh, amount of properties that, that landlords got rid of. Many landlords actually, bearing in mind that most landlords only uh, own one or two rental properties uh, and some and that property or properties may be virtually paid off in terms of the mortgages, then really uh, doing those rent controls may not bring about the size of the change that they were considering in their article, so saying that a, lot, that a lot of investors would sell. And also if they're supposedly freeing them up for first home buyers, other investors might buy those uh, who are still happier with a lower rate of return or first home buyers not be able to, might not be able to afford to buy them anyway. So really it's uh, the, the thing that will make prices drop is simply supply and demand. There are some artificial things like the fact uh, that the government legislation that they bought in recently has made it a lot more difficult to lend money from banks. Less buyers means less competition means prices lowering. So that's uh, that's in place, although the government has recognised that they've the banks are possibly enforcing that too hard. And if we have time later in the programme, I'll talk a little bit more about that and how difficult it's been. Uh, I think around 7% of loans that would otherwise have been approved uh, have been denied. So that means 7% of buyers out of the market at certain price ranges. But moving right along, if you're worried about rents, here's a story about some people who were worried about rents. And the title of the story that was on Stuff by Joanna Davis is Bus Life with Toddlers Beats Paying $650 a Week Rent for a Mouldy Two-Bedroom House. They talk about a family living in Papamoa 
who are in the swing of living tiny and are pleased to not be wasting their savings on rent. So moving back from Australia to be near family, Michelle and Lee Drennan have ended up living in a bus because they're not willing to waste all their savings on New Zealand's crazy rental market. The family's parked up on leased land in Papamoa while they settle into work and daycare having moved from Bunbury, Western Australia, at the end of last year. Dealing with two active preschoolers in a bus was preferable to blowing their house deposit on exorbitant rents. When we left six years ago, the housing market was going up, Lee says. We didn't know how we were going to come back, so we bought the bus and just as well because it's crazy here. We didn't want to go into a rental and waste all of our savings. So Michelle, who's an English and maths tutor, as well as a digital illustrator, and Lee, who's a retail manager, have already found the cost of living in New Zealand higher than Australia while the wages are lower. And this is interesting because this has been in the news a bit lately. So groceries that regularly cost $200 a week for the family in Australia are now between $250 and $300, she says. So they bought the bus, which was a 1989 Japanese Hino Rainbow that's done over half a million kilometres. Six months before returning in December, they paid $20,000 for it. They've done some conversion work to it, which is great. And now they're on a piece of land, and I saw it here somewhere in the article, that they lease for $150 a week. And that gives them access to clean water and occasionally power to charge up their batteries if they need it. Because they looked at buying a tiny house and the cost was more than 100000 So... They're going to live in the bus, which is nine metres by two and a half, and uh, that way they can then, rather than paying 650 a week, which is $500 difference between what they pay uh, by leasing the land for the bus, um, that will help them to get a deposit to get into the – or not spend their deposit to get into the housing market. What was interesting was they actually saw a house advertised – for six hundred and fifty dollars a week, and it was the same property that actually rented before leaving for three hundred and thirty per week. So quite a quite a big change there um, in terms of the the prices. So that'll be interesting to see how that how that goes, and uh, certainly that people are looking at options around um, massively reducing their their costs in order to to save to get into property. Depends where you are in life. Some people moving back home, staying at home a lot longer uh, than they used to. Um, others um, doing things like the, the tiny homes, um, the bus like this, and, and so forth. So we'll now go to a little bit of music. And uh, we've got, uh, for the break here, we've got Kings of Leon with Sex on Fire. We'll see you after the break. <laughs>
You're listening to Property Matters here on NPR Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Ngā Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson, lovely having your company. We're just going to move a little bit here to talking about, uh, or maybe trying to answer the question, should you allow pets in your rental property? And before we do that, I'll just preempt it with this article that was on stuff.co.nz written by Jonathan Killick. It's another personal story of, uh, of some tenants. But it says that lack of pet-friendly rentals is pushing animal lovers into homelessness. Quite a dramatic headline, of course, as they like to do. But Auckland landlords' negative attitudes towards pets are forcing animal lovers to choose between becoming homeless or giving up their beloved furry companions, it says. Birkdale's Jasmine Rose found herself having to find new accommodation after her landlord sold the house she was living in. Rose was determined to bring her 11-year-old cat Chase with her, but had such a hard time finding a pet-friendly rental, she missed her move-out deadline. She found 90% of the houses were listed as no pets by default, and the few that allowed them were hotly contested. As a result, she and her three children, all aged under six, ended up in government emergency housing. It was horrible, she says. The other tenants partied every night and were getting bitten. We were getting bitten by bed bugs. To get her family into suitable housing, Rose applied for any house she could find and was recently accepted into a house on Auckland's North Shore. However, her landlord hasn't allowed her to move Chase in and Rose has had to make the hard decision to try and rehome the family pet. So it's interesting and it begs the question, is it worth... Uh, based on this article, the fact that there is high demand for properties from people with pets. Because landlords who say no to pets by default are possibly missing out on potentially great tenants, according to um, the lady Rose there that was the, the tenant. She says it's worth taking a look at a pet at a viewing. A good pet's usually a good indication about its owners as tenants. So what we've found is that, uh, and data collected by Barfoot and Thompson that shows pet-friendly Auckland rentals cost an average of $20 a week more for a three-bedroom house and $34 a week more for a five-bedroom. Central Auckland suburbs commanded the most in pet premiums with pet-friendly rentals there costing an average $125 more a week in the central eastern suburbs. Barfoot and Thompson Property Management General Manager Samantha Arnold said of the company's 16,000 properties in Auckland, about 14% allowed for pets, and that was up from 11% in 2017. Samantha Arnold said that it would seem that more landlords are warming to the idea of pets in their properties with higher rental returns from allowing pets and the risk of damage can be partially mitigated, Arnold said. And this... uh, the interesting thing here, and just to pass a few comments from my experience, is that, yes, uh, if you allow pets, you can charge a higher rent. Now, what's this based on? Partly supply and demand, but also there is provision in tenancy law that tenants are allowed what's called reasonable wear and tear in a property. And if a landlord allows pets, then there's also allowed to be reasonable pet-related wear and tear. So what does that mean? It might mean that a cat uh, claws some net curtains or a little bit of wallpaper, not widespread stuff, just a little bit, or a dog might chew a door frame or an animal might pee on the carpet once. So these things and the reason that uh, these things are can be problematic for landlords, of course, um, can be the perception of extra costs or extra damage that then needs to be put right. Now, landlords 
can't use the bond uh, to fix those reasonable problems unless the tenant agrees. Now, most uh, tenants would actually, if they're well vetted and they're good people, would look after the owner anyway by putting things right. However, because the landlord can't guarantee to get that money from bond, if they charged an extra ten or twenty dollars a week, that's well, let's say twenty dollars a week, that's like a thousand dollars a year um, that they get extra from those tenants that have that pet or pets. Then, if there's damage at the end, like a chewed door frame, ripped nets, and that sort of thing, effectively, in a sense, when compared to people without pets, uh, those owners, pet owners, have effectively paid for that damage in advance. So that's a, that's one of the reasons as well why rents cost more. It's a perception of damage being done and the actual financial ability to put it right when it is done in case the tenants don't. In uh, at least one of the states in Australia, it's not lawful to deny tenants a rental property because of uh, having pets. So they changed the legislation and uh, I can't remember where it was, I think it might have been New South Wales but I'd have to look that one up, where you cannot deny tenants a rental property because they have pets. Uh, And so they then supplemented that with um, some legislation around what tenants have to do around those pets and put things right, etc. So these things can be overcome also in legislation if it became at any stage a bit of a political football. So moving on to the section of the show called Bad Landlords, Bad Tenants. And this is really about bad landlords these days. It really highlights how much money that you can be in the firing line for if you do things wrong. First article, Auckland tenant awarded over $7,000 after being harassed in a cockroach-infested flat. Man, that's a headline and a half. So an Auckland landlord has been ordered by the Tenancy Tribunal to pay their former tenant over $7,600 following a short and unhappy tenancy in a cockroach-infested flat. The tenant, whose name is suppressed, now the reason they're suppressed is because they won the case, signed a fixed-term one-year tenancy agreement for the Parnell flat in August of 2021. However, the tenant moved out a mere two months later, having found the premises at fault in many ways and having clashed with the landlord who lived next to her, according to a recently released decision from the Tenancy Tribunal. A tiny flat, which measured only 35 square metres, was one of four carved out of a traditionally styled mid-1900s villa. The landlord lived in the largest flat and a relative of the landlord lived in another. The Tenancy Tribunal noted that in addition to the claustrophobic situation, Auckland was also locked down under COVID alert levels 3 and 4 during the former tenant's time there. So the problems at the Parnell flat began from the get-go when property manager Kenneth Mack failed to provide Healthy Home Standard Report or lodge the tenant's bond, both of which are unlawful. Mack confirmed the carpets would be shampooed before the tenant's arrival and the bathroom ceiling and window frame would be repainted due to mould. But upon moving in, the tenant was extremely shocked to find the entire flat being nowhere near clean. According to the tribunal, there were spiderwebs on the ceilings and walls, mould in the kitchen, bedroom and living room, and the flat was infested with cockroaches. Yuck. Really not a fan of cockroaches. The tenant outlined several instances of harassment from the landlord, which included turning off the tenant's water, which again is unlawful, and claiming she had... 
and claiming she'd broken the toilet in her flat on purpose. I don't know who would break a toilet on purpose. This situation arose when the landlord came over on the premises, oh, sorry, on the premise of fixing the tenant's toilet and tried to coerce her into splitting the water bill evenly, the t- tribunal heard. When she refused, the landlord threatened to cut off her water supply. The landlord then proceeded to turn off the water multiple times but claimed water care told them to in order to fix the tenant's toilet. The tenant, who was visibly upset when discussing this issue, was desperate to get her toilet fixed as it would not flush unless she filled the system up with water from a bucket. That's incredible. However, the toilet was never fixed. The tribunal heard there were excessive gaps in the windows, meaning the landlord's cigarette smoke seeped into the house through the bathroom window even when fully clothed, uh, closed. Well, she may have been fully clothed, I, I don't know, but, but when the window was closed there was um, cigarette smoke seeping in. The tenant said she eated, ended up eating only one meal a day due to the stress and anxiety she experienced in the flat and also sought help from a psychologist when she lived there. The tribunal concluded the tenancy, tenant had suffered significant distress and lack of amenity. Landlord was ordered to reimburse the tenant for move-in and move-out costs, reimburse 50% of the rent she'd pay and pay compensation for cleaning. They were also made to pay exemplary damages for failing to provide a clean premises, failing to maintain the premises and failing to allow the tenant quiet enjoyment of the flat. Man, that's uh, really quite incredible that uh, that tenant had to put up with all of those things. Here's another one, another article, this one. Auckland landlord ordered to pay $3,000 over a gas leak in a child's bedroom. Oh, man. I don't know what to say. We'll just get into it. The recently released tenancy tribunal decision said... Uh, the tenant, whose name is suppressed, again suppressed because they won the case, had told her landlord she could smell gas in her daughter's room in her Packeringa rental. However, it wasn't until a week later that the leak was assessed after the tenant contacted Victor herself. A text message from the tenant to landlord Karen Dang, also known as Nicole Dang, showed the tenant was worried about her daughter's health. It's strong in the morning. I've been informed to get a gas fitter to check. Something's not right. It's a disgusting smell. The tenant claimed her daughter would wake in a lethargic state. She said there were a number of days when she could not attend school and required medical consultations. The tenant said she was advised the gas leak was a health and fire risk. Man, it's uh, some scary stuff. Dang said the gas leak was first raised with her on May the 14th. Someone went to premises a few days later but couldn't find any problems. The tribunal's decision said a plasterboard screw had penetrated the gas pipe. A damaged section of the pipe was then cut out and repaired. The tribunal said the saga was concerning because a gas leak presented a significant safety risk to those living on the premises. Uh, the tribunal said, I consider that a reasonable landlord, when notified by a tenant of a potential gas leak, would have arranged for a properly, quali- properly qualified person to attend and assess the premises without any delay, it said. Um, and, and that's uh, an absolute given. The tenant also complained of a water leak from the plumbing in the unit above her home. The leak occurred above the tenant's kitchen. The tribunal said the tenant had notified Dang of the leak and a plumber had attended within three hours. A hole in plasterboard was cut to expose the plumbing from the upstairs apartment and the leak addressed, but the ceiling hole was not repaired until months later. The tenant also claimed she was unable to use a kitchen for a week because it was a dusty and unsanitary area and there was an odour from the toilet pipe above. She said she tried to negotiate with Dang for a rent reduction to compensate for being unable to use the kitchen but was declined. However, the tribunal disagreed and ordered Dang pay $600 in compensation for the healing, uh, ceiling hole and $3,000 in exemplary damages for the gas leak. So just to qualify that, exemplary damages are paid from the landlord to the tenant, uh, effectively telling them off for something that shouldn't be done. 
Just quickly, another one and the last one. Auckland tenant awarded $7,000 after a ceiling collapses and then isn't finished for months. So another Auckland landlord has been, I don't know what's going on in Auckland, but it must just be, uh, yeah, anyway, we'll just move on, uh, ordered to pay nearly $7,000 to a former tenant after part of her ceiling collapsed to, due to leaks. The ceiling was not fixed for more than two months after the incident, and even then the repairs were only partial, according to a recently released tenancy tribunal decision. Prosperous Property Management Limited and Mei Ching Investment New Zealand Limited rented Anne Louise Riddler the house in East Auckland's Half Moon Bay in September 2019. Riddler first noticed the downstairs area was leaking in March 2020. She also reported it on April 1st and May 12th, but no repairs were ever undertaken. On May 13th, part of the ceiling of the lounge collapsed due to the leaking, the decision said. The tenant had to rip off parts that had not fallen down to avoid injury to herself and children. And by the way, tenants are entitled to do repair work if they need to, particularly if it's dangerous, and then seek reimbursement. But the landlord did not undertake any repairs until July 27th, nearly 11 weeks later, but did not seal or paint the ceiling, the decision said. Rubbish and debris from the tradespeople left on site, which led to mould developing on the carpet. The tenant says the smell was intolerable and a further leak had been discovered under the kitchen sink. In February 2021, there was more leaking in the downstairs area as well as leaking kitchen pipe and bathroom tap. Large holes were ripped into the walls in an effort to find the source of the leaks, the decision said. But it was not until 20th of May 2021 that the repairs from the April 2020 incident were finally completed, that's one year, and mouldy carpet downstairs was replaced. Riddler said she and the children kept mainly to their own bedrooms for a full year as they could not use the main living areas. The final straw was in June 2021 when Riddler woke to find water, in her words, coming out of the walls and ceilings and all down the stairs. The water downstairs was almost ankle deep, she said, and she and her children moved out the following month. The landlord told the tribunal their own contractors would normally carry out repairs, but in this case the homeowner insisted on using his own tradespeople leading to the delay. However, that the tribunal said was a matter for the property management company to resolve with the owner and it ordered Prosperous Property Management Limited and Meiqing Investment Limited to pay Riddler 5900 in compensation of loss for use of the living areas and $1,000 in exemplary damages for breaching the healthy home standard. So there we go. We uh, That's uh, the bad landlords, bad tenants section, but today it was just simply bad landlords. Beware of what you do. Attend to things in a timely fashion. Uh, and if you believe that uh, once you've handed to a tradesperson that it's out of your hands, be more vigilant as a landlord. Make sure things are done. Uh, those three fines today total $17,000, um, and that's something that, as landlords, it's good to avoid. So that's the end of the show this week. Thanks so much for listening to Property Matters on NPR. You can find this also where all good podcasts are found or Google Greg Watson and Property Matters to find your way. Thanks again. We'll catch up with you next week. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.